0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Lord God, we come before you and we come before you thankful for your grace, for your mercy, we're thankful that we have a foundation in you that cannot be shaken we're thankful that we can place our trust fully and completely in you and father we pray this morning as we dive into your word we ask that you would speak to us we ask that you would give us understanding you would give us wisdom and we would be able to apply your truth rightly to our lives and in doing so that you would transform us and make us more like christ and we ask this in jesus name amen well i invite you to take your bibles and turn to the book of habakkuk we are in our last week of our series on habakkuk if you're having a problem finding it the easiest way is probably to go to the book of matthew and then go back to the left into the old testament five books and you'll end up at the book of habakkuk let me just give you a little review of where we have come from in the study and dive into chapter 3 today. Habakkuk writes during a time just before the Babylonians invade the southern kingdom of Judah and carry them off into exile. Now, it's important as we go through this, or as we've been going through this, we have pointed out that Habakkuk begins by addressing God and he tells God, God, I'm looking at the people of Judah. I'm looking at the way they've been living. I'm looking at the people who claim your name and they are turning against you. They're not following your law. They're not worshiping you in the right way. They're not treating each other the right way. God, why don't you do something about this? And then God answers Habakkuk. And he says, I am going to do something. I see what's going on. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians, I'm going to send them and they are going to take over and they are terrible people. They're incredibly voracious in their appetites and they're going to come in, they're gonna take over the land of Judah and they're gonna cart you off into exile. So then Habakkuk has an argument back toward God. God, we're bad, but they're terrible. How can you use someone who is this awful in order to bring judgment upon us? And then Habakkuk goes through and he talks about how God is listing a number of things that he is going to bring upon the nation of Babylon. Notice what he says, though. God says, Judah has sinned against me. And because of that, they're out of my will. And to bring them back in right alignment with me, I'm going to send an enemy to take them over and take them into exile. And then after a time, I will save them. I'm going to bring them back. We're going to find today. Now, when we look at that, it's really hard for us to grasp that. It's really hard for us to to look at this and say, this is a good thing. This is ultimately a very good thing that happened to them because God is showing his love for them in drawing them back to himself. And even through that judgment, he is bringing them back to himself. So that brings us to Habakkuk chapter three. In Habakkuk chapter three, Habakkuk looks at everything that God has told him. He looks at the coming circumstances and situations. And Habakkuk says, I'm going to make a choice on how I'm going to respond. And I'm going to respond in a way that brings glory to God. So today I want us to look at facing your fear with faith, because that's exactly what happens in Habakkuk chapter two. We find over, I'm sorry, Habakkuk chapter three, over in Habakkuk chapter two, verse four, we find that well-known phrase, the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. And so Habakkuk in Habakkuk three shows us what that looks like. I think it's very pertinent to us, especially given what's going on in our world today. I mean, 2020 has become one of those markers. I think we can probably all look back in the future and, you know, we have a bad time and we may say in the future, well, at least it's not 2020 because it has been so difficult in so many ways. And, and regardless of where you are on the spectrum of, 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 of where, you know, how bad it truly is. It has been a very difficult time. That's why next week, I invite you to join us. We're doing a a sermon next week called To COVID-19 With Many Thanks. And I'm not being sarcastic. Uh, There's been some things I've been very, very thankful to see because it's exposed so many things in the American church. It's unbelievable. I've talked to some people, all sorts of churches all across America, and, and everybody's saying the same thing. It's, it's been remarkable what's been exposed. Some really good things about the American church and some things that point out some major, major, major shortcomings in the American church that need to be remedied. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But Habakkuk looks at what has happened when all of the what-ifs have become the what-ises. It, it, it's, it's gone from just a matter of theory to a matter of coming reality, that this is going to come to pass. The what if has become the what is, and now Habakkuk has to respond to God. So I want us to look at when we're in the middle of one of those difficult situations, and nobody's getting out of this. It's not like, if you look through the book of Jeremiah, you find some of the people in Jeremiah uh, were, are responding to Jeremiah, and they're saying, because Jeremiah's prophesying about the same thing coming, and they say, well, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to be taken off. We're going we're to fight. We're going to run. We're going to do this. And Jeremiah just says, don't even try. You can't escape God's justice. You can't escape God's judgment. He has declared it. It's coming. You can't get away from it. Deal with it, essentially. So how does Habakkuk deal with it? Well, I think he gives us a useful example, very valuable example. Let's just start in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. The first thing we find that Habakkuk does is that we we should do when we face our fear with faith is that we are to call out for God's revival. Look at verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigeonoth. And you say, what is that? Well, no one knows. So that should give us all encouragement. Nobody knows what the word means. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right because nobody knows what it is. Some people say that it's probably some sort of notation because this whole section is a section of praise. And so if you look all the way to the very last words in Habakkuk chapter three, it talks about on stringed instruments. And so this section was very likely sung in some sort of worship setting. And so this is some sort of notation maybe about how to do this. Maybe it's a tune, maybe it's something else. We really don't know. And when you get to heaven, if you're that concerned, you can ask God and he can tell you. Uh, Verse two, oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. If you're going to face your fear with faith, call out for God's revival. That's what he does. He says, I've heard the report of you and, and then I've heard of your work. And then he says, in the midst of the years, revive it revive your work work on our behalf God You do your work and you revive us. Habakkuk is staring down the barrel of exile. It is coming. There's no escaping it. It is going to be difficult on the nation of Judah. They are going to be forcibly removed from their homeland and they are going to be taken as slaves, as exile, as captives into this land that is not their own. And with that on the coming horizon, Habakkuk says, God, revive your work. Revive your work, God. Revive us, God. In the midst of the years, make it known, in wrath, remember mercy. The psalmist in Psalm 85, verse 6, asks this question of God. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revival is a work of God. Uh, sometimes I, I, I've listened to people over the years. I've listened to pastors even talk about this is how you get revival. You don't have a format to set it up and force God's hand in revival. It does not work that way. It doesn't, you you can't go before God and say, God, I did this, 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 and this, and because all those things are in place, now you have to uphold your end and you must bring revival. It does not work that way. We can prepare ourselves for revival, but revival is a work of God himself. It has to be from God. We can't work it up, we can't stir it up, we can't manipulate it into being, we can't program it into existence, we must rely upon God's work. And so, whenever we are facing our fear, and many people are still in this place where they're facing great fear, what's ahead, what does the future look like? We have to face it with faith. And one thing we need to do is we need to cry out to God, recognize that it's a work of God, that we need God's reviving. And if we sit and we say, well, I'm good enough as it is. No, we need revival. We need to be spiritually revived and be spiritually bolstered by the work of God. And we have to rely upon God to do that. But notice what else Habakkuk says. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. God, I'm, I'm begging for your mercy. Will you just be merciful and will you work? Will you be merciful and show mercy to us? There's that famous definition of, of three of those terms, justice and mercy and grace. Justice is when you get what you deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is when you get what you what you don't deserve those that's the idea justice is when you get exactly what you deserve mercy is when you don't get that which you do deserve and grace is when you get something that you don't deserve and so Habakkuk is crying out to God and he's saying God show mercy God please don't give us everything that is coming to us God will you please show mercy and that's part of revival God's work of revival in and of itself is an act of mercy because we don't deserve revival. When We understand that. Many years ago, I remember someone talking to me and they were saying, well, you know, everybody, everybody deserves Jesus. And I said, no, bottom line is nobody deserves Jesus. That's why it's mercy. Nobody deserves Jesus. That's why it's grace. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve revival, yet we cry out for revival and for mercy. Well, why can we cry out for merciful revival from God? Because God is a merciful God. This is in Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. He's talking about the people of Israel when they have been led out of led out of captivity in Egypt. And now they're complaining and they're thinking, "We well, you know what we need to do? We just need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back into slavery. That would be better than facing this Look what happens, uh, what Nehemiah records. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when the people were saying, you know what? We don't want to follow God. We don't want to go to the promised land. We don't want to face the uncertainty. We don't want to face the hardships. We don't want to eat this manna that's dropping from heaven. We're tired of this. We're tired of walking. We're tired of camping out. And we are going to go back to Egypt. And even then, God says, I'm not going to forsake you. You're my people. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to show mercy and that's exactly what he did this is why in second corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 paul writes this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort he's the god of all comfort he's the god of all true comfort he's the god of all true mercy If you've ever experienced true mercy, its origin, if you trace it back, is from God himself. If you've ever experienced lasting true comfort, true eternal comfort, it only comes from God. He is the God of all comfort. He's the father of all mercies. And so we can cry out to God because he's a merciful God. We can cry out to him for mercy. We can cry out to him for revival. Is there an area of your life that you just need to say, God, just revive me in this area? God, please revive my heart toward you. God, revive my passion toward you in this area. God, revive my steadfastness in this area. God, revive my love for your word. God, revive my love for other people. God, revive my love for worship, my love for your church. God, revive that in me. Show mercy and do that, O God. You find in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 12, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. God is saying, return to me. Don't tear your clothes as a sign of mourning. Tear your heart. Show true humility before me internally, not just an external show. Truly, truly humble your heart before me and you'll experience my mercy. And so we go before God and whenever we're facing our fears, which is exactly what Habakkuk is looking looking at, he's looking forward to this is coming. The enemy is going to come and they are going to take over and they are going to take us. How do I respond? The first thing he does is he cries out for revival of God's work in a merciful way we'll do the same thing regardless of what the rest of 2020 holds god is merciful regardless of what 2021 holds or the next five years or the next 10 years hold god is a merciful god and we can cry out to him for revival no matter the circumstance we somehow act as though that everything has to be perfect and everything has to be great and everything has to be wonderful and everything has to be all to our liking and then we say well then maybe God will send revival you often find that God you look throughout history God sends revival to people who need to be revived It's been my experience that usually when everything's going pretty well and everything's great and people get complacent, nobody's even thinking about revival. How could it get any better than this? Let's just, let's just kind of kick back and let's just kind of stay right here. I kind of like this. This is kind of comfortable. I'm not really burning with passion toward God. I'm not really super enthusiastic, but I mean, you know, I'm just kind of in the middle. You know, the Bible refers that as lukewarm. I'm just kind of there. You know, you ever been in a lukewarm bath? You ever sit there and the water starts getting cold? and you don't realize it's cold. Have you ever done this? Like you get really relaxed in a hot bath and the water starts getting colder and colder and colder but because you are still, you don't really notice it. And then you move a little bit and you realize, oh my goodness, this water's freezing. You've probably done that before. In the same way, sometimes we don't realize that the spiritual temperature is just drop, 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 drop and you let a little movement come and ripple that water and you realize just how cold you've gotten. Let me tell you one way that you can really see what your spiritual temperature temperature is. Get around somebody and start really getting close to somebody who has recently come to Christ. And you watch their excitement. You watch their passion. one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard, I remember at the church where I was, where I came from, i remember there was this this guy he got saved and it was one of those glorious salvations i mean we're talking it was night and day he couldn't wait to be at church he couldn't wait to read the bible he'd run up to me when he'd see me on sunday and say look what i read listen to this and he's reading the bible and he's just so it's oh god is so good and he's so incredibly excited and i remember this older christian was there when he came up and talked to me and after this guy kind of went off to tell the other people that he knew what god had spoken about this week this older christian looked at me and said "Ah, give him a year or two it'll wear off he'll be just like the rest of us and i looked at him and i said and that would be a shame if he ended up like the rest of us. And by the way, what do we mean us? Why are you putting me in the same category as you? Okay? Listen, we cry out to God for revival, and sometimes we don't realize just how cold we've gotten. Habakkuk, in the midst of facing his fear, says, God, I'm going to cry out for revival, and I know that you are a merciful God. The second thing Habakkuk does is that he remembers God's faithfulness. We are to remember God's faithfulness. Now, let me just read through this passage. We're starting at verse 3 and going through verse 15. This is all about God's faithfulness to deliver his people and the power that God uses to accomplish that deliverance. And there are little snapshots, a verse here, a verse there, not necessarily even in chronological order, but there are verses that refer to the way God brought his people out of Egypt, when God sent pestilence and plagues to bring them out of Egypt. Instances where God sent pestilence and plagues upon his own people when they were wandering in the wilderness to bring them in right alignment with himself, to discipline them. Moments where God dried up the river and he he caused the Jordan River to part so that they could cross over. He caused the Red Sea to part so that Israel could pass over as they were escaping the Egyptians. And how God responded in miraculous ways in battles to stop the sun moving across its course in the sky so that they would be able to continue to fight. And so we find numerous references to not only God's deliverance out, or God's deliverance of his people out of Egypt, but also God moving his people into the promised land. So let's just start with verse three God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now let me just time out there. That word Selah, that's another one of those words that people don't know exactly what it means. But most people agree that the word Selah, when you find it in the Bible, you find it mentioned throughout the Psalms. It's a word that is to indicate a musical pause or a a pause in singing, perhaps. So it's like an instrumental break, perhaps. But whatever it is, you find it throughout the Psalms, you find it here in Habakkuk chapter three. And so it's a musical notation, somewhat related probably to the word Shigionoth that we looked at earlier. But God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hands. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian didn't tremble. These are the areas around the Sinai Peninsula when the people were moving through. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret you trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters wow Habakkuk recounts The way that God miraculously, powerfully intervened in the lives of his people and how he delivered them from the enemies and how he struck the enemies and Habakkuk is reading that also not only looking back and remembering the faithfulness of God, but remembering God is a faithful God so that looking ahead into the future, he understands the fate of the Babylonians who are coming as well. We must remember God's faithfulness. What do you remember of God's faithfulness? During this season, have you thought back and remembered how faithful God has been? Yesterday afternoon, late, I just had one of those moments where God just sort of, it was one of those moments where God just sort of tapped me on the shoulder and just just let me remember really clearly his deliverance and the way that he's moved in the past, even in my own life, just as a reminder. Things can change in a second. In moments, things can change. We could probably all testify about moments in our lives where we prayed and we sought God and we waited and we said, there's just no way that anything can come of this. And in a moment, we see how God has aligned all the circumstances and everything comes to a point and you realize God's been working behind the scenes all this time. I just couldn't see the way everything was put together habakkuk remembers god's faithfulness he's not the only one we find this a similar vein very very similar in psalm 77 the psalmist is going through a very very difficult time and notice what the psalmist says not knowing how god's going to answer crying out how long is this going to go on the psalmist says in psalm 77 verse 10 then i said i will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the most high You know what I'm going to do, says the psalmist? I'm going to think back, and I'm going to appeal to God's faithfulness in the past. I'm going to remember God's faithfulness in the past. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen." The psalmist is looking back to the very same thing. The psalmist is looking back to the deliverance of God when he delivered his people from Egypt, and he brought them through the Red Sea, and he delivered them by his mighty hand. We are to remember God's faithfulness. We need to call that to mind. I mentioned last week, we remember God's faithfulness, and we remember that God has never failed us. But then we have to take it a the next step. God's never failed failed period at anything at any time there's never been a point where God has messed up there's never been a point where God has said you know that got past me I didn't see that coming you know I didn't have a plan for that you know that was beyond my power there's never been a single moment where God has ever said that God is not only faithful to his people God is just faithful he is faithful at all times in all ways. And what, what Habakkuk is looking toward is this exile. Now this is important. We've been talking about how they are Habakkuk and the psalmist, they are remembering God's faithfulness in delivering them in the past. Now we find that what Judah is facing is a return to captivity. You find in Israel's history that invaders would come in and they would have to do battle with invaders, but the invaders didn't cart them off somewhere else. Now that's happening. It's almost as though God is reversing the Exodus. The Exodus, when he brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the land, He's saying, you're so far gone in order to get your attention, I'm going to take you out of the land, and I'm going to put you back in captivity. And that's exactly what God does. This is what we find recorded in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, and Jeremiah 29, he writes to those exiles. And notice what he tells them. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to do another miniaturized version of the Exodus. Just as I did bringing you out of Egypt, I'm going to bring you back out of Babylon after 70 years. Then you find verse 11 that often quoted and often reprinted and posted verse for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile god's the one who sends them into exile and god says and when the time is up whenever you're done i'll bring you back out of exile oftentimes we quote verse 11 and we quote verse 11 without realizing the context and and it's a wonderful truth that god makes to the nation of judah and its basic principle is applicable to us But sometimes we quote this verse and we I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we go, see there, God's going to make all this work out right here, right now. Yeah, but you read verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, it it may be a long time coming. God is ultimately faithful. But there were people who were taken to Babylon that never saw that land again. There were people who who were taken as exiles into Babylon who died in Babylon. And they didn't make it back to Judah. They didn't last the 70 years. And so as a people, yes, God restored them. But as individuals, not necessarily. But yet, that doesn't mean that God was not faithful. God's absolutely faithful. I've heard people quote verse 11. And again, I love verse 11. I've quoted verse 11. And God does have plans for us. He knows the plans he has for us. And those plans are for our welfare. They're not for evil. They truly are. And God is giving us a future and a hope certainly, but it may be through 70 years of Babylon before you see it. So many times, you know, I've heard people just say this verse and they're like, you know, I'm just believing that verse. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, we can believe it. Absolutely. It just may you may have to go to Babylon to see the fulfillment of, you know, you may have to go through Jeremiah 29, 10 to get to Jeremiah 29, 11. And so we find that we can remember God's faithfulness. Let me encourage you think back over your life. Think back over your walk with Jesus and look at some times and think back on some times where you say, right there, I know that was God. God showed his faithfulness in this. God showed up in an incredible way. God showed up exactly at the minute that I needed it. God showed up at exactly at the second. That decision point Came at exactly the right moment, and even then, like I made the decision, I didn't know if it was the right decision. But then looking back, I realized that God was leading me even in that decision moment. I mean, how many times can we look back and we can say, "I think I was about eighty-five percent sure." Right? We want that one hundred percent certainty with a decision. We don't always have that one hundred percent certainty. We just, I mean, you know, seventy-five percent certainty with Jesus at our side is pretty good. And Jesus will write it. If we make one of those wrong decisions, I, I've, I've seen moments where I've been moving in a direction and I'm like, Lord, please, I, I, I think this is the direction you're leading, but if this is not, then God, please change that. And I've seen God change it and redirect at the last moment. And sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I mean, this is, this is a, I wasn't planning on this, but it was the right thing because we're relying upon God. So remember God's faithfulness. And then finally, if you're going to face... If you're going to face your fear, and you're going to face it with faith, worship God with unshakable joy. Call out for God's revival. Remember God's faithfulness and worship God with unshakable joy. Look at how Habakkuk ends. Verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. When I think of what is coming, God, it scares me to death. When I think of being taken away from my homeland, when I think of being taken from the land of Judah, when I think of being taken from that land where Jerusalem is and I could go and worship in your holy temple, when I think about being taken from here and taken into a distant country as a captive, I am scared. It makes me tremble. It makes me, it makes rottenness enter into my bones. And then notice what he says this. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. God, you're faithful. You made a promise. You said, you said you're going to do that. And we find that historically, you find that uh, the Babylonians fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was after the Medo-Persian Empire got set up that one of its rulers allowed the people to return. But not until. And so he says, I'm going to wait, God. I'm going to wait for you. And then notice at this incredible statement of worship. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's; he makes me tread on the high places. Notice what he says: Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no fruit, food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He is saying, I am going to worship God with unshakable joy, even in the midst of that. Now, it's interesting, if you go all the way back, you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, you find this is exactly what God had said would happen if they turned from him. Everything that Habakkuk is looking at is exactly what God had told his people, if you turn from me, start following idols, start breaking my law, and you continue down that road, these are the things I will do. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, verse 36 the lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone and you shall become a horror a proverb and a byword among all the peoples where the lord will lead you away meaning it's going to you're going to become one of those shake your head at the situation well you know you don't want to end up like these people from judah you don't want to end up like these people of god you're going to become an example essentially you shall carry much seed into the field and gather in little for the locust shall consume it you shall plant vineyards and dress them but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes for the worm shall eat them you shall have olive trees throughout all your territory but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil for your olives shall drop off You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours for they shall go into captivity. Then if you drop down to Deuteronomy 28, 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain wine or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. This is exactly what Habakkuk is talking about. Habakkuk is saying, if there aren't any grapes, if there aren't any olives, if the grain is failing, if the herds are gone, if the stalls are empty, if the flocks are are no longer there, no matter what happens, even in the midst of us rebelling against you, God, and you sending your judgment, God, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. He's worshiping him with unshakable joy. That's the essence of joy joy is what i like to call it's transcendent trust happiness is based upon what happens joy is based upon something that is eternal that is trustworthy that is lasting and so habakkuk says even though all this is going on i can still worship god with joy have you been worshiping god with joy even in the midst of this season in the last four months have you been worshiping him with joy no i can't worship him I can't worship him, not in the midst of all this. I just can't. My attitude's not right. I just can't worship him. Can't worship him online, definitely can't do that. No, just, that's just not right. I'm not even going to try. If your kid was deployed and the only way they could talk to you was online, I bet you'd be on the computer watching them. And if, you, if, you, if your grandchild had a birthday party in another state and you couldn't get there, I can guarantee you'd be Zooming or FaceTiming them. But let the people of God gather online for the blessed word of God. And then some people saying, I can't do that. Oh, now, hold up. Wait a minute. That was free. Wasn't even my notes. Uh. (laughs) Needed, I guess. But anyway. But we can have that kind of joy. Regardless of the circumstance. Worship him. Regardless. Even in the midst of it. Worship him. Listen, if Habakkuk can say, I'm going to worship God, even if everything financial, everything material, everything agricultural, everything societal, if all of that goes south, I'm still going to worship God. We haven't even gotten there yet. And yet some people have thrown in the worship towel already. Joy is transcendent trust. This is why Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord Always, again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on, we worship Him. We rejoice in Him. Why? Because God is our strength. Habakkuk understands his strength is not in the fig tree. His strength is not in the fruit tree. His strength is not in the olive tree. His strength is not in the herds of cattle. His strength is not in the flocks of the sheep. His strength is not in any of that. His strength is in the Lord, the Lord, the God. God, my Lord is my strength. Verse 19, he makes my feet like the deer's; He makes me tread on my high places. This is what we find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. He is my strength and my song. He is my strength that I depend upon and he is my song. He is the one that I worship. And I can worship him for his strength even when everything else fails. When everything else falls apart in the midst of the greatest fear that I can ever face I can faithfully and joyfully worship God have you been faithfully and joyfully worshiping God in the midst of this situation or whatever situation that you're facing if a situation ever gets to a point that you say well I just don't think I can worship God in this you need to check the size of your God because your God may be way too small Because I can guarantee you, your God is far bigger than any situation or any circumstance that you're facing. God is far bigger than everything that's going on here in the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk just says, I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna worship. Are you able to do that? Are you willing to do that? You are able, are you willing? Are you willing to say, God, I'm gonna rejoice. God, I'm gonna worship you. I'm just gonna hallelujah anyway. I'm gonna praise you regardless. Even in the midst of the difficulty, God, you're still worthy of praise. God is just as worthy of praise if it is a hard scrape or if it's high cotton. Either way, God is still just as worthy of praise regardless of the circumstance or situation that you find yourself in. That is how we face our fear with faith. Where is it that you're most fearful right now? Where is it in your life, in your family's life, in your business? Where is it that you're facing the most fear? God can meet you in that. God is meeting you in that are you going to meet him in that that's question he's there he's in the middle of it are you going to cry out to him and go to him and say God I, I need your help God show mercy God I'm going to worship you God I'm going to trust in you God I'm going to remember how faithful you've been in the past and I know that that's just the way you are you're just a faithful and merciful God and so there's no reason for me to start doubting you now in the midst of the difficulty I was watching um A guy on Instagram the other day, he had gone to the Ringling Brothers Museum down in Sarasota, Florida. I had been down there a few years ago. And in the Ringling Brothers Museum, there is an actual section of tightrope that's only about a foot off the ground. Two little platforms with a tightrope between them. The actual tightrope that a lot of the tightrope walkers walk on in the circus. And I was watching these videos of these people walking across this tightrope, this one little section of tightrope, one foot off the ground. And they were walking across that tightrope. Kids were walking across it, bouncing on it, jumping up and down on it and all sorts of other stuff. Cause I mean, it's, it's fairly large and they're walking this tightrope. And all I could think was, but put it 50 feet high. What changes the height, the, the apparent risk? Yes. The danger, sure, tightrope doesn't change. It's still just as wide. It's still just as stable, but it's the distance. That's the issue. Listen, you're not relying on your skill to stay on this tightrope. This is God's faithfulness. And it doesn't matter if you're a foot off the ground and everything's going pretty well, or if you're 50 feet or 500 feet, or if you're stretched out over Niagara Falls. Your God is still the same. He is still the same God. He is still just as faithful. He's still just as strong. This God that Habakkuk sang of, this God of power, this God who dries up, who dries up rivers and parts seas and levels mountains, same God, same God, same God. We can face our fear with faith because we have a faithful God. And when we, we're in the worst of all possible situations. Not just each of us as individuals, but all of us as humanity, separated from God because of our sin. Rightly deserving the justice that would come. God in his mercy sent Jesus. We didn't deserve him, but he sent him. And then through Jesus, we not only receive mercy, we receive grace. God sent us that which we didn't deserve so that we could receive that which we didn't deserve. God withheld exactly what we deserved and gave us an opportunity. Some people have said before that, well, the cross gave us mercy. No, 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 no. It was God's mercy that gave us the cross to begin with. It was God's mercy saying, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna give you something. I'm not going to give you exactly what you deserve when you deserve it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to know me. And he sent his son who died in our place so that if we receive that sacrifice, we surrender to him and live for him, then we can have eternal life in Christ. And we can face every fear with faith because of our faith in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that there is no fear that can come our way. There is no circumstance that can fall upon our path. There is no difficulty that we may face, but what it hasn't filtered through your sovereign hands. God, you are God alone. And Lord God, I know in a room this size and with people who are watching online, listening even now or even later, They're wrestling through many things. God, I I, I just come before you, Lord, and I just ask, God, please, that you would show mercy. But I also ask that you would help us to remember your incredible strength, that you would revive your work in us. Lord God, we want to believe every single word that you tell us in your word. So, Father, I pray that we would worship you with unshakable joy regardless of the circumstance regardless of the situation regardless of what the rest of 2020 may hold or 2021 the next 5 10 20 years father god you are still the same god you are just as strong you are just as faithful you are just as merciful you are just as just you are just as holy you haven't changed And So Father, as we come before you, we recognize that all of what you are, every one of your characteristics, every one of your attributes comes to bear on what you do. So Father, you're, you're all in when it comes to your work. Father, we're thankful that all of you does all you do. And so Father, we ask now that you just might give us strength, that you might where we're we're weary, or we're stumbling, or we're fearful, or we're anxious, or we're uncertain. Father, I pray that you would be that certainty. You would be that boldness. You would be that light. You would be that, that next step of faith. You would be the one that we cling to, that we would understand that you are our strength, and therefore you are our song. You're our sole source of strength. And so you are the only object of our worship. Father, I pray that you would just go before us during this time of decision. If there's any decision that needs to be made, Lord God, I pray that you would grant the boldness to do so. If it's a prayer concern, if it's someone wanting to know, how, do, how can I know Christ? Or I want to be baptized. I want to, I want to show everyone that I'm following Jesus and him alone. Father, I pray whatever decision needs to be made in this time, that you would grant the freedom to do so. And we give ourselves to you, and we thank you again for your precious word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.